We're continuing looking at Romans, and when I think about today's sermon text, I think of the climax of the second Lord of the Rings film, The Two Towers. So if you've not seen it or are not remembering The Two Towers, the good guys have taken shelter in a defensive fortress, and they are hopelessly outnumbered against this invading enemy. And they fight all through this dark and rainy night, withdrawing deeper and deeper into the stronghold until all seems lost. And then, through the window, they see the sky is just a little lighter, and dawn is approaching. And in their moment of deep despair, their leader remembers a promise that Gandalf the wizard had said, Look to my coming at first light on the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. They remembered it was about to be dawn, and it was the fifth day. And so they charged forth out of the stronghold, trusting the promise that Gandalf would come, and he did. And he brought reinforcements, and the tide was turned, and they won the battle. And that's what I think about in this text, because for the last 11 Sundays, we have heard Paul's words of judgment, that God is going to bring judgment against sin, that we have been repeatedly, week after week, convicted of our sin and told there is absolutely no way that we can be righteous before God, that every objection we may have has been silenced. That every loophole we think about has been closed. That we have retreated further and further into our own stronghold, hoping somehow, some way, our condemnation as a sinner will not happen. But before all of that bad news that we heard, we must remember a promise was made to us. In Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul wrote this. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul had told us at the very beginning of the letter, this is a good news letter. Then he immediately just spent two whole chapters throwing bad news at us. And we're left to think, man, there is no good news here. But here, the tide of the letter has turned. The light of the gospel breaks through the darkness of our condemnation and sin. And that's where we turn this morning to this great turning point in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. Romans 3, we're looking at verses 21 through 26 this morning. Let us hear the word of God. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood 
to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, that overall Your Word tells us a good news story. But Lord, we can only appreciate the good news if we know how bad the bad news is. And we thank You today for this transition to the great news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that You would give us ears to hear this good news. To hear it, to receive it, to know it as the power of God for salvation. So God, please use me in spite of my own sin and weakness to faithfully proclaim Your Word and give us ears to hear, O God. Open our hearts and minds. Work through Your Word by Your Spirit and an answer to our prayer to accomplish the purposes of Your Word, most notably that it would be that power to save all who believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our passage this morning essentially is telling us about this good news, this righteousness from God, that we had heard all about our own unrighteousness, but now there is a way to be righteous from God. And so I want to look at four questions today about this righteousness to give us an understanding of our passage today and to know what is this good news. And so first, what is now different The great English preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, said that there are no more wonderful words in the whole of Scripture than these two words, but now. Paul is here speaking about this seismic change, a reason for great hope for sinners. And so, before getting all excited about it, we should at least wonder, like, well, what is now different? What has changed? What is new about what Paul is talking about? Well, look at verse 21. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now we got two big words, churchy words in there. Righteousness, manifested. we got to figure out what that is. By the righteousness of God, Paul does not mean that God is righteous in his own character. He does talk about that later in verses 25 through 26, but that's not what he means here. Here he means the way in which God justifies or saves believers. It is God's righteousnessing, the way in which he makes us in a right relationship with him. His justifying activity that I am going to set things right between me and you. That's what is meant here by the righteousness of God. That that has been manifested in a new way. And so to manifest something is to show or to reveal something. And so what is new is that God has shown a different way of declaring people righteous. There is a new way He has done this. And so then you got to ask again, like, well, what was the old way? Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. 
So the old way that God had shown to be made righteous with him was through the law. That by adhering to the law, by relying on sacrifices and performing rituals from the heart, people could remain in a right relationship with God and be declared righteous to be declared to have atonement for their sins, even though they were still sinners. And so Paul is writing that this new way is different from the law. But it does not mean that God just started over from scratch. That sometimes we think of the Old and New Testament in relation to each other, that God had plan A. And plan A was to work through the people of Israel and to give them the law so that they can be righteous. And then when plan A is given a couple thousand years and things aren't working, God just takes plan A, crumples it up, throws it in the trash, gets a blank piece of paper. It's like, all right, plan B, Jesus. No, that is not what Paul is saying. He says the law and the prophets, plan A, the Old Testament, bear witness to this new righteousness of God in Christ. And so though this message is new and different, it is anticipated and foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And our Old Testament reading is a good example of this. That the Day of Atonement was one of the great holy days in Israel's year. It was this God-commanded ritual whereby the sins of the people would be atoned for through the sacrifice of a few animals, and they would bring that blood into the holiest place of the temple and sprinkle it around the mercy seat, and they would send another animal symbolically away so that God's people were no longer plagued by their sins. That this was the old way, the old manifestation of how God righteous people. He declared that they were in right relationship with Him. But it was never meant to stick around forever. It was meant to point forward to this new manifestation of righteousness in Jesus. You see, the Day of Atonement had to be repeated year after year, after year. And I don't know, like, assuming they actually did this, I feel like by year 40, you're probably like, are we any better? Is this working? Like, I'm glad it's not my blood in there, but this bull's pretty dumb. And that goat isn't that smart either. Like, what's... All right, God, sure, if this is going to be the way, I guess we'll do it this way. See, our New Testament reading from Hebrews 10 says that this repetition shows us these sacrifices did not make perfect what needed to be made perfect. The sacrifices and rituals were signs, they were shadows pointing beyond themselves to the substance in Jesus. And so this is the new thing. God is working differently from the law, but the law was pointing to this new work in Jesus. And so that brings us to our second question. If the righteousness of God, his righteousnessing of people, is no longer tied to the Old Testament law of the Jews, then who is this righteousness for? And Paul writes that it's for everyone. He writes, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 
For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You hear the word all twice in there, emphasizing this is for anyone. Anyone can receive this righteousness now. Now, this is very good news for two big reasons. First, every person needs this righteousness. Paul has spent the last two chapters explaining that nobody is righteous on their own, and he sums up by saying, all have sinned. This means that there's not a single person who can say, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks, Jesus. I'm good on my own. I don't need any help. I'm all right. Paul's saying, no, you can't say that. At least not say that and have it go well. Because that attitude towards Jesus and his righteousness giving is like you're trying to complete a long uphill hike. And you assume that Jesus is just some guy in a pickup truck driving to the top of the hill. And he said, hey, you want to ride? I'll take you to the top, save your legs a little bit. And you're like, you know what? I know it's 10 miles uphill. It's cold. Altitude's thin. But I'm going to do it on my own. Thanks, but no thanks, Jesus. That is absolutely not what is meant when we say everyone needs this righteousness. It's more like you need to swim across the Pacific Ocean. And you're, I don't know, five miles in and somehow not dead yet. Okay? And someone comes by in a boat and is like, hey, you've made it like 0.2% of the way. Would you like a ride? No, I'm good. Just going to keep on moving. Just No, you can't do it. You will die. You are doomed without help. You need this righteousness that Jesus can provide. So it is good that it is for everyone. The second reason this is good news is that no one is excluded from receiving this righteousness. Paul says there is no distinction that previously you had to become Jewish in order to be made right with God. That being righteous was tied to the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. But this righteousness is for anyone without distinction. Meaning that non-Jewish people could receive it without having to become Jewish first. Now for us today in America, in this time period, we don't have a big issue with this Jew-Gentile thing. It's kind of been settled. It's not really a problem for us, but we still have distinctions. We may not say that they are real distinctions, but in our minds we create these distinctions. But this righteousness is for all people without distinction. That means this righteousness is available to all, whether you are American or Arab. It is open to all. Whether you grew up in the church and have Christian parents or whether your parents hated God and refused to believe in God. It is for all. There is no distinction between Republicans and Democrats, between rich and poor, between young and old. This righteousness is available to all, which is good news because everyone needs this righteousness from God. Okay, but how does he do that? All right, so it's through Jesus, got it, it's for everybody, but how can God justify sinners? That's our third question. I like how Tim Keller writes about it. He says this, How can a just God justify 
justifying you and me. If He is just, how can He justify justifying you and me? That if God is holy and He must judge evil and sin in order to uphold justice, how can He say, like a sinner like me, is righteous? He cannot just overlook those sins and pretend like they're not there. That would not be just. Think of the people sinned against. He would not be good if He let people off the hook. So how can a just God justify sinners? Well, the answer, we are told, is found in the death of Jesus. Happens to be why we talk about it so very much. Paul writes that those who receive the righteousness of God are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Man, that is just like a church word sandwich. We've got them all in there. All sorts of churchy words. So what is Paul saying? What what does all that say? Because that's really the key to why we are here every week. It is the key to our hope. Well, what he's saying is that sinners like us are under a sentence of condemnation from God that we cannot escape. That we are trapped. We are enslaved by our sin, unable to escape on our own. But we can be redeemed if a price is paid to free us from this sentence of condemnation. And so God the Father put forward His Son Jesus to pay the price to free sinners like us. This price was not paid to the devil The devil is not so much our concern. It is the holy wrath of God that concerns us. The price is paid to God. He is our holy judge. And the price is paid through the blood of Jesus and His sacrificial death. And so that word propitiation, which a lot of English versions take out because it's just scary to read and look at, it is the same Greek word used for the phrase mercy seat that we read about in our Old Testament reading. The mercy seat was essentially the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. The cover to the Ark of the Covenant. That was where the blood of those animals was sprinkled to make atonement for the sins of God's people. That the Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence was said to dwell and that they would bring the blood to the very presence of God that God's wrath would be satisfied and atonement would be made. And so Jesus' death is the substance of what those symbols pointed to. That the Day of Atonement was a temporary stand-in until real, lasting atonement could be made by Jesus. That's what Paul means when he writes, in God's divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. God allowed the blood of animals to make provisional atonement until His Son could truly satisfy the holy wrath against our sin. See, God is right to be angry with our sin. God is right to condemn us for our sin. And so a price must be paid for our sin. And Jesus paid that price so God's wrath would be satisfied and we wouldn't suffer it. 
And once our sins are paid for, we can then receive the gift of righteousness. That we can be righteousnessed by God, justified by God as a gift, knowing that Jesus has taken our punishment. It is in this way we are told that God shows His righteous character. That's what Paul writes twice, to show His righteousness. God shows His character most clearly at the cross. Because at the cross, God shows Himself just. He punishes sin at the cross. He does not let sin slide. Sin receives His full wrath in Jesus. But God also shows He's not just just, He is the justifier the one who declares sinful people righteous and justified, the one who gives us the promised blessings of salvation. At the cross, God can fulfill all of His promises and Jesus and His death is the key. This is the good news we are told. And so then the important question that Paul wants to hammer home is how then can we receive this righteousness? That if we had just been told for the last two chapters, you are not righteous. You need to be, and you cannot be. There is no way you can do it. Paul wants us to see this is the way. This is the way you can be righteous. So how do we receive this righteousness? And we are told four times in the passage, it is by faith in Jesus. We receive it by faith in Jesus. The word for faith in the New Testament is the exact same word as the word for believe. The same word is trust. So faith, believe, trust. They're all the same word. We don't have three different Greek words for that. They're all just one. And we just translate it those three different ways. And so the English version in verse 22 uses two of those. It says this, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ For all who believe. You could just change it to this. The righteousness of God through belief. For all who trust. It's the same thing. Just keep swapping those out. They all mean the same thing. So what is it that we have to believe? What do we need to trust? What does our faith need to be in? Verse 25 tells us, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. It is Jesus' redemptive work of making atonement for our sins that we must believe. We are not just told, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You should believe that. That's not what we are told to believe. We are not just told to believe that Jesus can save us somehow. It's not what we're told. We are told this is how He saves us. We are not just told to believe that Jesus was a great teacher and a good example to follow. No. We must believe the only way we can be righteous before God is because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. That is what we must have faith in. That is what we must trust. That is the only way we can receive this righteousness is by faith. 
It is the only way we can be saved. It is the only way we can escape the bad, bad news of God's judgment against our sin. That's it. So that means nothing else saves us. That means the salvation that God accomplished in Jesus does not get direct deposited into your spiritual account because you grew up in church. It doesn't work like that. The salvation does not come to us because we try to be good people. The salvation is received by faith. It is not received because you know what Jesus did. It is received when we trust what Jesus has done for us. Only then is our story included in the biggest but of the Bible. Does our story change with what Jesus has done for us? You see, this is like being diagnosed with a deadly disease for which there is no known cure. That's been the last 11 weeks in Romans. Here is your disease of sin. There is no cure. You can't get better. But now we are told there is a cure you can receive. Anyone can take it. There is no distinction based on your insurance carrier. It doesn't cost any money. The maker of the cure has paid for the cure himself. He's giving it to everyone who needs it. All you need to do is take the medicine and be cured. And the medicine of our salvation is taken by trusting in Jesus. I hope you've trusted in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've heard of this deadly disease of sin. Maybe you've heard that the prognosis for sinners is not good. Maybe you've even heard that there is a cure to be found in Jesus. Maybe you know all of that, but you have not taken that cure. You have not believed in Jesus. Have you received this salvation by faith in the Son of God who died on the cross to forgive your sins? Have you believed in this free gift of salvation, trusting that God can make you a sinner righteous and give you eternal life in Christ because of what Jesus has done? I hope you have. I hope you have believed in Jesus, but today, maybe you're not sure. Maybe you never have. And so what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to have faith? To believe and to have faith means you are receiving and resting on Jesus alone as He is offered in the Gospel. And so we receive it saying, yes, God, I trust only Jesus can make me right before You. And I am going to rest in that and not live my life trying to make myself right before You but to trust that He has made me right before You. And so I can rest now. And any good that I am doing is not to prove myself, but to thank You. To thank You because You are amazing, God. And so as you hear the good news today, I pray that you are able to share in this biggest but in the Bible. I hope that you are able to say of yourself in your own story that I am a sinner who deserves God's wrath, but 
God has saved me through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because those words, but now God, are some of the most beautiful in all the Bible. May they be part of your story as well. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that You would give us that gift of faith. We pray that You would help us to receive the gift of Jesus Christ and to so rest and trust in Him. God, help us to see that there is no way we can be righteous apart from You. Help us to recognize the need to receive this great gift and how it is freely offered. And we pray, O Lord, that for those of us who have received that gift, that You would help us to share with others the good news of Jesus, that they too may receive the gift of salvation in Christ. It is nothing we do to earn this or deserve it. We simply come to You, O God, with open hands to receive it. And so, Lord, seal in us Your Word today. Work in us by Your truth. Spirit, help us to have that faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.